if you get comfortable with the success that you have in a singular medium, and that's all people expect from you, that's fine, but that's just not me. I like that discomfort of exploring. Black creativity is unstoppable. The Studio Noise podcast takes you into the studio with Black artists and creatives making the art that moves the culture. You get to feel all the inspiration, technique, and passion behind the people making paintings, making sculptures, making prints, making noise. It's the Studio Noise podcast with your host, Jamal Barber. It's the noise. Yes, it's your boy, Jay Barber. The journey is the goal, as we say. We talk about that a lot, don't we? About experimenting, about being consistent, about finding your voice. Sometimes it might get you fast track. You're on the 30 under 30. You're in your 20s getting acquired by institutions, all that good stuff. And sometimes it just builds one thing to the next thing, one idea to the next idea, one piece to the next piece. And that's the journey. And today's guest, Toki Taylor, to me, is the poster child for the journey. I've seen her work develop over the time that I've known her. We've done shows together in Atlanta, all that good stuff. I've seen her take her fine art photography and level it up every time I see it. New twists and new ideas, all integrated, new materials, all the good stuff. And now she's at the Southeast Museum for Photography, showing work at Carnegie Hall at Print Houston for her show, What Remains, July 2nd through August 27th. She's showing some Seattle types down there. But most importantly, the work just keeps getting better and better. And that's what I really love to see. Somebody dedicated to the craft. And she talks about that with us today, about how she creates her work, the outfits, the heirlooms, doing commissions, her new book featuring her reclamation series, all that and more today on Studio Noise for you. In Studio Noise, you already know the voice of black art and we just an awesome art podcast with black people. I mean, that's how you describe it, you know, unless you just super angry that they got black Jedis in Star Wars. <laughs> you can appreciate how these artists that I'm bringing to you are doing their thing and sharing their art life with you. And that's what it's all about, Joe. We got we got black painters, printmakers, collage artists, curators, everybody sharing their art life with you. And, you know, I think that's a gift for everybody to see, take notice, be inspired, commit to the passion. You know, that's what I'm talking about. You can follow us at Studio Noise Podcast on IG. Check the website, www.studionoisepodcast.com. And that's noise with a Z, if you don't know. Rate and write review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Uh, let everybody know about the noise. And if you really love what you hear, you can donate to keep us growing and thriving. Join the Patreon. The link is in the show notes and on the website. And a bunch of ways you can get to us. I sure do appreciate everybody that give a little bit to your boy to keep us going to keep us building this black archive if you are looking for more black art going ahead over to black art in america gallery 1802 Connolly drive east in east point georgia just south and east of atlanta it's only about 10 minutes from my midtown studio right there on west peachtree so it ain't even that far yo you know how <laughs> you know how to inside the perimeter folks get about traveling places it's right there right a little bit past tyler perry studio and you're right there so it's an easy trip for you to go get see some amazing black art. Next season, I'm going to do some shows from there. It's just a beautiful place. They got a magnificent facility out there. Frank Frazier is going to be there showing some artwork soon. You might want to check that out if you're in the area. It's the place to be for black art in the Atlanta area. Make sure you check them out at blackartamerica.com. Now, before you absorb all this goodness for the day, do your boy a favor. Tell two of your close friends, your co-workers, sorors, whoever. It's the noise. Tell them. And after the break, we got fine art photographer Toki Taylor in the house talking that good talk is the best of black art, baby, on the noise. Yes. This is Kenetra Fletcher, Associate Curator of African-American and Afro-Diasporic Art at the National Gallery of Art, and you are listening to Studio North. Yes, it's your boy Jay Barber, back with more Nothing Less Than The Best in Black Contemporary Art on Studio Noise, Noise With A Z, you know how I go, the voice of Black Art. 
And today we got one of the Studio Noise fam back with us on the podcast. We got Toki Taylor in the house. How you doing, girl? I am wonderful, Jamal. How are you? I'm fantastic, yo. And and it's just a note of just the wonderful stuff that you're doing. We got you back on the podcast. I see you doing work. It's like, yo, we got to talk about this new yeah, stuff that you sure. got going on, yo. So I definitely appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me back on. I appreciate it. It's always good to talk to friends. For sure. Yeah. For, for sure. And the people can check you out at TokiTaylorStudio.com, at TokiTStudio on Instagram, and wherever else they want to find you at. Sign up for your newsletter, all that good stuff. <laughs> and as we talk now, first, for people that don't know you, how would you describe your work? Um, I would say if you're looking at my work, you're always going to see children, number one. Um, and children are censored in the work because I feel like children arrive in the world as blank slates. And if we don't show them represented in a strong and empowered light, then people will show them the other side of themselves and it won't necessarily always be positive. So they're going to see children. They're going to see um, representation of history, of family, of memory. Um, they're always going to see some artifacts. Um, it very much so centers the South and spirituality and my African slash African American heritage. Yep. That's it, Joe. That's the description, yo. I think, that, I think that, let me know if I miss something. Oh no, no, that's that's it, yo. That's it. That's right, right, right what you talk about right there. And I would I would also add these kind of the word ethereal to it. Because it's something about your imagery that it just uh it's hard to describe that is it's kind of like trying to photograph a memory is what you see yes. when you see it. So it's like, it's kind of a little bit vignetted. It's a little bit like the color is super saturated. And like mm -hmm. some of the objects, it's like a lot of symbolism in it. It's like so much stuff going on inside of these images that you got. Now, I remember when you started doing these, like way mm -hmm. back in the day, uh, and they had a very surrealistic feeling to them. And I think okay. you've moved towards reality a little bit. Tell me if I'm wrong about that. Oh, you're probably wrong. <laughs> so I wouldn't say they had a, so you're probably referring to the composite work where I was combining multiple images together to create this otherness that did not necessarily look like reality, but I'm still doing that. It's just not um, in every piece. It's always very targeted. Like if the piece asks for these additional elements of texture of, you know, dropping in a landscape that was not there in the original photograph, then that's what the piece is asking me for. And that's what I do. And so it, it's one of those, we call it glue, right? It's one of those glue elements that doesn't show up across the board in every piece, but it's absolutely there holding the work together. Yeah. So that that's still there. Hold on, I'm going to just write down the word glue. <laughs> yeah, I, hey, so, Jamal, you know I teach, right? I teach. Yeah, um, I got you. High school. Yeah. And so that's one of those words that is a, it's a easily accessible and understandable word that people can relate to across the board without going into art speak or educational ease or, you know, how we have these vocabulary yeah. Yeah. that only... Uh, professionals understand everybody understands glue right yeah glue holds things together jamal you have glue in your work and what i'll tell anybody identify the glue in the pieces and you'll start seeing those glue elements across the board that's what's holding the work together glue <laughs> <laughs> and so as you approach your work and you start to like come up with these compositions yeah. How what what comes first? Because I know you have the imagery of children, you have other uh, elements and textures inside mm -hmm. of it. What what's the foundation? Where does it begin? So it's this give and take, this back and forth between the research. Um, and when I say research, I'm really talking about reading. I'm talking about looking at history. I'm thinking about societal things that have been left out as far as my history is concerned. I'm looking at all of those things. I'm also always, always looking for, I call them artifacts. It's really things that people cast off that 
have a universal appeal. For example, mirrors. There is something associated with mirrors across the board. So I'm always looking for vintage mirrors. Um, I'm always looking for these vintage objects that I can, quote marks here, turn on their head and recontextualize their meaning or objects that um, have been handled because they're they're old. They've been handled and they hold on to the memories of the folks that have held on to them, but now they've been discarded. And I'm giving those objects new life within the work. So there's this give and take that is constantly happening um, as we try to construct new new artworks. I'm taking notes all the time, whether it's physical notes on the uh, I've got notebooks strewn around the studio and my car in my bag, at my job, like I've, I keep notebooks everywhere because if I have an idea, I want to be able to jot it down. I've got random notes in my Google Drive where I, I've, I've read something and I'm taking notes on the the connection that my brain went to upon reading that. And so when I decided, okay, let me let me start working on this new piece, I start reaching for those things. And then I've got this huge repository of photographs that might have initially started with one idea, but of course I might have only used one of them with that one idea. And I'm looking to see, okay, how can I incorporate that photograph, which is the raw material for me. Uh, photographs for me are just a part of the art medium that I'm using to create the concept with. I don't look at a photograph as the finished piece, the, the, the photograph taken with the camera. Um, it's just a part of the art making process. And so all of those things get combined together to create the new work. And I'm also experimenting with different mediums. Like I'm really interested in, in caustic, I'm interested in a cyanotype, I'm interested in embroidery. And it's all these things that I want to incorporate, but you know, time is our enemy all the time, right? Absolutely, time yeah. All the time. That's a joke, right? <laughs> artists, there's so much we want to do, but we don't always have time for it. So you have to kind of force yourself to sit with this particular medium if you've got the time for it. And then you'll try and circle back to this other medium that you want to incorporate into the work. And so that's this circular, almost uh, the infinity eight that's going on in my art making practice. And I love how how that is starting to manifest. And now you got a show coming up at Print Houston being debuted at Print Houston. What remains July 2nd through August 27th at the artists, the community artist collective, uh, a body of a body of work, <laughs> a body of work, cyanotypes. So this kind of this new kind of way of presenting your imagery to it. What do you think mm -hmm. the cyanotype process adds to the imagery and kind of focus that you've already developed for yourself, the style of what we see when we look at your work? So for me, the, the cyanotype is more along the analog method that I originally started out with years and years ago with film, right? But you have to develop the, the film and there's this very hands-on, you don't know if the photograph is gonna come out well or not, if you've left it in the developer too long, if when you're using the enlarger, you're going to have to dodge and burn physically to make it adjust. And so for me, it it, it kind of harkens back to that more hands-on. I can't quite control every aspect of it. Like with digital photography, I can control every single aspect of what I'm doing, every single component. If I don't like something, I can take it out. If I If I want to change out the colors, I can change out the colors. Cyanotype is absolutely a very limited process. Oh yeah, one you're, shot. You're, you're not even the one shot. It's one color. <laughs> <laughs> it's blue, right? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and, and and if you think about my work, my work is very much very colorful, very rich, very textured, very layered. With the cyanotype. It forces me into this box of a single color, shades of blue and white. Now, how can I take a medium that is that limited, but it gives me the flexibility of going back to this hands-on contact printing process that 
you know, in this modern times, so many of us have abandoned and we've abandoned it because, you know, one, it's way cheaper to do digital, but also we don't have to work with, you know, toxic chemicals. I've got, you know, four kids here at the house. I don't have to worry about setting up, you know, this darkroom lab and worrying about the kids being exposed to these dangerous chemicals, right? Cyanotype is, for the most part, hazard free. Yeah. How can I take that medium and give myself the freedom of contact printing because I'm taking the I'm taking the photograph with the digital camera and I'm converting it into this huge digital negative. I've got a um, a printer here at the house that can go up to uh, 44 inches wide. I'm, I haven't done one that big, but the the work that you guys see it's 24 by 32 as far as the scale. So I can still go big, which I love. But I get to experiment with this digital negative and the digital negative is not my friend because I can't tell how it's going to develop in the cyanotype. I have to go back and adjust the digital negative and the density. And so it's, 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 it's almost like going back into the, the unknown and the experimentation part mm-hmm. of photography for me. And so in that way, we continue to push ourselves. No artist rests on their laurels and, and is content with where they currently are. You're always striving to figure out, how can I push myself? Okay, I've got this locked in. How can I push the, the work that I'm doing, whether through technique, whether through medium, whether through concept? We, we push ourselves. And so the cyanotype was a way of pushing myself. And I'm at the very beginning of that push. I'm blessed that I've been able to do the solo show, but by no means am I done. Um, there's so much more that I want to do within that process to push the boundaries of that process. So all the images that you have, these weren't developed specifically for this series. No. And I, so, you know, I had someone ask me, so what's different about this work than your other work or did you photograph things specifically for the cyanotype work versus you know your other work and absolutely not um i didn't photograph anything different like i said you know i i'll have on my computer seven thousand photographs right you guys might have seen maybe 40 50. so i have this treasure trove of images as raw material to work from and based on the concept i.e what remains i went through and i pulled out images that i feel like worked with that concept what remains and then how can i without the use of these you know the rich color the layering how, how can i work these images and contact print them and and get across this notion of when we think of family, when we think of a culture, when we think of history, all that you have left when time applies age to it, when the memory fades, all it's, it's what remains is what you, what, what we're able to hold on to. And so that's where the concept of what remains came from. And for me, cyanotype was perfect for it because it's this whole process of coating the paper with this light sensitive chemical um, and, you know, applying a, uh, either a negative, a digital negative or um, objects to that paper, exposing it to sunlight. In this case, um, UV, a UV exposure unit. And when you take it out and time has passed underneath that light, you take it out you rinse it under the water, you rinse it, you rinse it. All that you have is what remains, what was supposed to stay. So, yeah, no, that's, that, that's the, the yeah. concept behind it. No, that makes perfect sense. And I think one of the reasons, because one reason I asked that question is because I think about um, working between mediums, I yeah. always jump to what the medium can do different than the other one. And so yeah, my yeah. so my woodcuts don't look like my acrylic paintings don't look like my drawings. And so I would. Mm-hmm. And so I, that question comes from uh, artists also has to consider that when they approach it. And so you do have the lushness and the layers and the focus of all the other texture and stuff that you have uh, in your 
in your photographic work, your um, what we would consider what we usually see from you, right? And now right. when you switch in mediums, removed of all that, is there some way that you have to rethink what the image looks like, is composed as, does? Yes. Because, <laughs> because the medium. But it seems because to me... Because the colors are gone. Like, my, my, exactly. my ability to play with color, that's, that's gone. But I have full intention of, re of introducing other colors into cyanotype, but through alternative methods, um, such as uh, you can use turmeric, you can use uh, tannic acid to tone the prints, kind of like what traditional film photographers were doing when they would do hand coloring. Mm -hmm. And so all of that goes back to that more analog process of creating images. And do you think that having a, a little bit of analog to go along with a lot of the digital setup that you have, what do, what do you think that adds for your work? Oh, gosh. You know, for me, it's just pushing the medium. It's really about me experimenting. Um, I, I am not comfortable personally as an artist by staying with a singular medium. I really am interested in how can I layer? That's the word I keep reaching for. It's the layering of ideas. It is the layering of concept. It is the layering of experimenting. You know, mm -hmm. I really enjoy that experimental process. The discomfort, you know, a lot of folks don't like discomfort, but the discomfort of not knowing how this thing is going to turn out, if it's going to be good, if it's going to be successful. If you get comfortable with the success that you have in a singular medium, and that's all people expect from you, that's fine, but that's just not me. I like that discomfort of exploring. Yeah. So I, I guess yeah, that's what I, it is. No, that's, no, that's to me, that's the art. Like I always say uh, to my students when, when we start talking, it's like I could teach you how to do the technical aspects of any drawing yeah. or whatever you do, but that's not the art in it. The art is that next question that you ask and nobody else asks. And then the solution that you come up with that is different than any other solution somebody else had at that particular Jamal, moment. Jamal, exactly, exactly. What are you doing different? Yeah. What am I doing different? from everybody else. I am sure, 100% sure, there are folks out here doing cyanotype. I'm sure oh, yeah. there are folks That's out here who are doing digital, digital photographs on cotton rag paper. I'm sure of it, right? I'm sure there are folks doing encaustic. But what I'm not sure on is my thought process in that I'm interested in combining the digital photograph, the cyanotype, the encaustic, the embroidery. And I, once again, this is a journey, right? We, we don't have everything figured out and it's uncomfortable, but that's the fun part, yeah. figuring it all out. And how can I combine all of those aspects or some of those aspects and thread them together into this singular body of work? I love so, it. Yeah, you guys are watching the journey. <laughs> I love to see it, Joe. And I, you know, that's yeah. the, the artist that, you know, uh, people always ask me how to pick people on the show. And yeah. I, I pick people that I know and that I know are doing good work that I mm -hmm. in the process and can talk about what they're doing because they're yeah. doing something. <laughs> like you got to, I always say, you got to make the noise when you go out there and do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, that's what I love to see is like you branching off and combining, making the work becomes bigger and better the more you do it and you go off in these different directions and, and thing and you start to discover stuff and make things that you never thought you would make in the first yeah. place. Absolutely. And so I, I went to the Spelman museum recently and they had mm -hmm. a show of their uh, work in their collection. They had this one care with May Weems piece in there. Um, I looked and looked and failed to see what, what's so frightened. You said what was so frightening. Well, yeah. What was so, what's so frightened. That's what that was the title of the piece. Ah, oh, I see. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it was her with a mirror and address. It was two images and they were uh, flipped hor horizontally. 
uh, in mm-hmm. orientation. But you know, they, that also had that same serenity that I see in a lot of your work as you're photographing these children. How do you direct the people? Like, how do you how do you get children who are like wild and free and crazy to dress up in these vintage suits and hold pine cones and stuff like that? Like, like you know, what I'm saying like, like, what is that like, yo? Um, you wait them out, Jamal. Wait the children <laughs> out. They're gonna give you all the funny, goofy laughter. What they think someone wants to see. Uh. You wait them out on that, and you tell them what you're trying to do. And, you know, some of them are really young. They won't understand exactly what you're trying to do, but you tell them you don't have to smile. You you don't have to do anything that makes you uncomfortable. I'm very specific in the instructions that I give. Um, For the older ones, we do talk. We talk about, um, particularly with the book that I'm working on, uh, Reclamation, and that should be out in the fall if not early winter. But with those guys, if they're the older kids, the moms and I have talked about the family traditions that we're pulling together. We're, we're talking about the family heirlooms that are getting integrated into the photograph and what it means to the family. And so those kids internalize that and you see it within their faces. Mm. They understand that they're doing something that goes beyond the here and now. Mm. We we talk about the fact that, hey guys, this work might end up in a museum. Um, we talk about the fact that it's going in a book and they're really, they're proud to be a part of that. Um, for the little ones, the little ones, it's um, pretend for them. Mm. And that's okay too. But yeah a lot of patience i have a you know i've got miles of patience far more than most people and so <laughs> i just employ the patience that you know that's one of those gifts that you you don't know you need until you you need it yeah yeah so yeah ah, so as you're doing these setups and your setups um are it's, it's funny to see it and then uh-huh. to look at the photograph that comes from it, you like, you know, it's one of, one of those things like this is how we got the photograph, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, because what you all see is not <laughs> what happened in reality. Oh, no, reality yeah. is way messier. Than <laughs> and that, yeah, that's this. I think that's what my question is, like in in terms of like as you as you look at it in the messiness. Uh-huh. So I'm, I'm assuming that you can't we can't see what you see. But what I no, do see is yeah, like is it. the messiness as you say it. But in that messiness, are you, do you already see the image like coming to life, like automatically, like when you look at the kid and and when you pick the objects? So so the process, right? I talk about the photograph being raw material, but before the photograph, there's the, the, the tableau, the staging of it all. I'm looking at the fabrics introduced into the set. I'm looking at the objects that are inter- integrated into the set and the symbolic meaning that I've created as this dialogue with myself and a dialogue with history. Um, the objects have symbolic meaning. And so when I'm introducing them into the set, I'm also integrating that meaning into um, the frame. I'm looking at the colors colors have meaning right yep. you, you know this is art history color theory colors have meaning so I'm, I'm thinking about all of those things before we even integrate a kid into it um as far as costuming I, i'm looking to see point one is the outfit ambu- ambiguous as far as uh the time frame it doesn't have to look like it's from the 1700s, 1600s, 1800s. It just has to look pushed back into the past. And so that is a consideration as well. So let's pick an image uh, from your Reclamation series. Uh, one of my favorites from your show when you had it at the Ren Nest was the offering. And offering was the, mm-hmm. the and offering. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a tremendous piece. The, the look on the girl face is so gorgeous like i don't know it's like <laughs> some about capturing that moment tell us about mm-hmm. how you're setting this up um so that that whole 
setup happened about when we shut down for COVID, right? We shut down for COVID. You, like many artists, I'm sure, and myself, we were like, okay, what are we supposed to do now? All of our yeah. shows are canceled. Yeah. It's not like, okay, we can start. A, a lot of us are driven by deadlines. Like deadlines are fire to the feet. They make you move. They make you work. There is no fire to the feet when the whole world is shut down. And so, you know, you, I sat on my couch for about a month doing much of nothing. And then it's like, okay, well, let me start researching. Let me start reading. And so within that research and reading, I came across this whole discussion of um, how Africans as a part of spirituality make offerings to ancestors. And something really clicked inside of me. I'm from the South. I'm from Atlanta, A-T-L-A-N-C-A. And we raised in the church, but we're not raised in the church in the sense that we understand all of the things that are talked about within, you know, this, this textbook, the Bible. They're talking over us with these little kids sitting in, in the pews being fed peppermint to stay quiet. And if we're not quiet enough, we get a pinch on the thigh to stay, you know, stay quiet because we're not supposed to interrupt. We're not supposed to break this this holy tradition that's happening. And so you grow up understanding that there's some spiritual connection going on, but you're not connected to it for real. There's something, there's a gap, there's an emptiness there. So fast forward, we're shut down for COVID. There's all this tragedy going on. And I also have time to read. I've got time to sit and, and research and look at who am I as this African-American girl from the South? What are, what are my roots? What are, what are my threads of connection? And so I start reading um, Flash in the Spirit, um, Robert Ferris Thompson, um, and several other um, books, but I know uh, his work is very popular. Um, and I start reading about African spirituality and this connection to ancestors and tradition. And I, I, so I went downstairs and I was like, okay, what do I have here? Because I'm not going out. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. I don't want to get COVID, right? Yeah. And this before we, we knew anything about what, what was really, you know, how it was transmitted or whatever. I, was, I, I have quite a few health issues. I, I was like, no, I, I can't get sick. And so we had this, I had this white heavy fabric that was in the space, in the studio, this white gown. And I thought about how, how can we make offering, but within this context of being the Southern African, capital A, African American, capital, girl, who has not been taught her history, who has this Western education upon her, and even that Western education has all these gaps in it, deliberately so, I might add, mm -hmm. um, and all of these trappings of wealth and status that are Western-centered, but if we flip that script, an offering can still be made. We can still make offering, even though we have all of these Western traditions that have been built into us. And so, one of the breakdowns of the of an offering is, you know, she and the model happens to be my daughter because they're in lockdown, right? And so, she's making this offering, and it's this hand. The the vessel is full of pearls and jewels and and beads and cowrie shells and buttons. So that's what's in the vessel. And the vessel is point part crown when you look at it. And of course it's also vessel, but underneath it, there is this woven gold ring that harkens back to the halo in Christianity. But above the halo in Christianity is this African spirituality, this offering for ancestors. And so that was a whole concept behind this piece. And, you know, 
sometimes we'll make stuff and we've got some of the why fleshed out, but as we sit with it, the rest of the why comes about and, and the rest of the why, as I looked at what had been made, was the was clarity. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's an offering. Yeah, no, that's wonderful, yo. That's a great explanation for it. And I think as seeking that that same kind of exploration, like it's it's not just a, a material exploration where you're talking about techniques and experimentation, right? Mm, right. Like we talked before, this is a this is almost a, a spiritual mental exploration in terms of yes. what are you trying to present and what are you actually trying to say when you say it and the little mm-hmm. new new bits of information add the new thoughts so on and so yes. forth right and all of that layering of um acquiring information and knowledge that gets layered into the work the more you what they say back in the day when we was little jamal the more you know the more you grow oh yeah or yeah. something like that yeah <laughs> Hello, I'm Grace Kisa. I'm a mixed media artist based here in Atlanta, and you're listening to Studio Noise. Uh, one thing I've always found fascinating is you somehow always seem to have some object that can, that has a meaning and a purpose, but you made it more mysterious somehow you know <laughs> you understand what i'm saying like when uh what is precious is protected uh she mm, has the cowrie shell is that a, I I even, and i don't know what I it is on her head developing that. yeah but i don't so, know i don't know what it is on her head but like just so listen like, that is one of my magic abilities right <laughs> that's what i love abilities. yeah tell me about that tell me about that how can i t- and i talked about it a little bit how can i take an object that has a traditional expected purpose and use it as a unexpected purpose so the the veil of cowrie shells is actually a necklace ah see yeah that's right. it yeah that's uh, that's what i'm saying i love that making me give away the sauce right? <laughs> just one right. that's, a, that's it, just a little it, bit they gotta they gotta yeah. action for the rest of it but, <laughs> yeah, but i, I really that. do try and look at okay if if this was the traditional purpose, how can I not necessarily use it for its traditional utilitarian purpose? Where does that come from? Like, do you just have these objects laying around and like you kind of see it or are you out like looking thrift shopping or, or whatever? I thrift shop all the time. That's that's definite. But I'm also always looking with an open eye. If that I don't. That, it might not be a good way of describing the way I'm looking. I'm looking at it for how can this be used other than its utilitarian purpose? Like that does not shut off in my mind's eye. I can see something and if it clicks, oh, I can use that for so-and-so. Right. Then whether I have an actual like real purpose for it at the time or not, I'm going to get it. Even if I can't see, okay, I could use it at this. I might just look and like, oh, that's, that's, that's got an unusual shape or that's got an unusual color and texture. I've tried not to get things at points in time and I always (laughs) regret it. Like I think about it a couple days later, try and go back and get it. It's gone. And so I don't even fight that anymore. I just go ahead and get it and just set it to the side. And, you know, most of the time I come up with a way of using it. So, yeah. I love that, Joe. I think I love when artists do that. Grace Keesler does that a lot too. Yeah, like she'll just, love she'll me just some Grace. yeah, she'll just have some random thing or using zip ties or like now, whatever you know it what? is. Grace is the queen of it. Oh, I yeah. am a mere peon <laughs> in comparison to a daggone Grace Keesler. I'm actually I'm gonna ask you for one more secret reveal. Uh, oh, the piece Lordy. the piece called the Scout. My man is holding. Uh-huh. What is my yeah. man holding in his Those hand? Those are opera glasses opera glasses yeah so okay true story right true story time i'm sitting here noodling on facebook marketplace and i'm like i said i'm always looking always and these vintage opera glasses show up in my feed i'm like oh my god these are so 
oh my god these are so cool and i look to see where the person is they're like 10 minutes from my house bitch. <laughs> the guy's like well we're not home right now we'll just leave it on the porch ten dollars later ten dollars later they're mine so yeah i'm always looking that's amazing <laughs> yeah. i love that i go thrifting i never find anything Y'all go thrifting, you find like all kinds of stuff. Always be looking. You have to always be looking, Jamal. Yo, I I look and I still don't see it. I'm still, I I don't know, yo. (laughs) Y'all got like a Mm -hmm. gift, yo. Like you said, is that open? Hey, I I mean, I have been thrifting and buying vintage, throwaway, used items since I was a small child. Like, that is how we grew up. I grew up in thrift stores. The joy for me was going to a, a value village with my granny after the grocery store with $10 in my pocket. I'm going to buy whatever books I come across, a huge stack of books, shirts, whatever. But that $10 is going to get me places. The places are in books because we were you know, house kids and my mom was always at work and we were always inside. So for me to go somewhere, that was books. For me to have some clothes that look like something, that was the value village and $10. So I've been in training way longer than you. I'm sure of it. <laughs> yo, shout out to value village, yo. That's what Man, I'm talking what? about, yo. <laughs> I love that, yo. But I think it, that part also adds to the artwork, the sense of, yeah. of um, you use the word vintage. It's, it's kind of that age timeless kind of quality is what i'm looking I for i use the word vintage a lot i'll use the word artifact mm. because for me what is an artifact but something that um a culture has discarded but they still value mm-hmm. right yeah and so i value these discarded items that people no longer see the worth in but i do i love it joe no, yeah. now in the process of making this, you already mentioned it before, but your reclamation series, uh, mm-hmm. we talked a, a long time ago. I remember talking about you creating this book and you're yeah. in the process now. Like I see you posting on Instagram, like tell us about the process of putting this whole series together into this book presentation and what you want to get out of it. So it started off with a conversation with my crew, uh, Sashi uh, Sasha Brown, that's my twin sister, Delita Martin, and Chloe Alexander. We were talking. And were, oh, now hold on, so now hold on, now. This is yeah. quite a crew you just just mentioned, like in passing. That is, uh, it's okay. quite phenomenal. I, I just gotta gotta mention that. Like, yo, shout out to the crew, yo. This is <laughs> <laughs> that, ain't, that ain't a bad right. crew to have. These right are now. all like these are all good people. <laughs> they push you, right? All yeah. these folks, they will push you. And so there's like, oh, you know, you should just do a book. I'm like, oh, okay, sure, why not? It's going to take you three months. <laughs> well, well, I put everything in motion. I schedule out everybody for the shoot. That takes three, four months to photograph everybody, then going through the photographs and selecting what's actually going to get edited into the book versus, you know, that'll want to be an artwork for another day. One year later, <laughs> so it's been a year-long process. A part of the process, though, evolved into me as I'm talking to these 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 parents, because of course, you know, you're reaching out to parents, not children. Right. I'm talking about the work that I do and um, capturing history and maintaining heritage, and we talk about heirloom and you know so many of them initially like well Tolkien, we don't have any family heirlooms we don't have any family artifacts but then they go talk to relatives and the relatives are like well we have so-and-so from great grandpa we've got this from uh grandma so-and-so and so it sparked this whole conversation between family members about what they consider to be artifact, what they consider to be heirloom worthy. And it really made them think about, well, an heirloom is really something that has a story behind it. And so even if they didn't have the actual object, they could generate story behind the objects and they would bring them in. And it started them on talking about family history and reaching out to various family members. And so it had this wonderful ripple effect 
of connecting family members and family stories together. And these guys are so awesome. They, they you know, allowed me to include their family stories into the book. Um, and so the book is not just um, artwork. It's also family archives. It is um, a documentation of family artifact within the photograph or the individual artifact itself, these family stories. Um, it, it's just, it's one of those things that you take on, you're like, oh yeah, I'll do that. And then it evolves into something so much more and so so far more reaching mm-hmm. than what the initial concept um, started out to be. And so I'm, I'm really proud of it. It's been a labor of love. I cannot wait until I have this check mark of books in hand. Um, I've got a couple pre-orders, guys. You can pre-order it on, on my website. Um, but yeah, it, it's one of those things that has evolved over time. And, and I didn't anticipate it, it being to this level, but I'm really proud of it. Yeah. It looks fantastic. Got some, yeah, got some great writers. Yay! Oh, um, tell us about that. Let's go. Let's go. Great writers um, who've included essays in it. Um, Beresford, Beresford um, Booth. He is one of the advisors for the Perucci. I'm going to say it wrong. Perucci. Yeah. Yes. Family Foundation of African American Art. Um, he's also a wonderful artist in and of himself, as well as an educator. Um, and then I've also got Juana Williams. Let me get out, get out the car, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Juana Williams, who's amazing. Juana said yes immediately um, to being a part. She's written this fabulous essay. Um, she's a curator slash writer. Um, I, I, I don't want to quote it wrong as to um, her current curatorial um, location is. I believe it's the Detroit Institute of African American Art. I believe American it is. Yeah. I, oh, don't quote it wrong, Toki. Yeah, but I believe yeah, it is. That's where. Yeah. yeah. Congrats, Wana, on getting that. Yeah. Um, Big shout out to Wana. Yeah, she's awesome. And then the foreword is by Paula Tarango. Paula was the executive director of the Griffin Museum of Photography. I reached out to her, and she was like. Absolutely, would love to do it. And she's just written this wonderful foreword that really, to me, reads more as an essay on the context of children in art history, and to some extent, even the the placement of um, people of color and women in the canon of art history, and how we've been left out um, all the way up until about 1980 something. You really didn't see. Um, uh, people of color included in the arts canon and so that's also one of the the things that i want my work to address and you know we we've, we've been knocking down walls the last couple of years as far as this barrier with arts institutions and and the art canon and its lack of inclusion um, in regards to african-americans people of color women We've been knocking those walls down, but there's a huge amount of growth that still needs to happen. And so, you know, that's a part of the work that we're doing. I very much so um, strive for the work that I create to not just exist, although we love good collectors. Thank you, Jamal. You know we love good collectors. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Shout out to the collectors, (laughs) Right. Shout out hardcore. Because y'all really do keep us going. Y'all keep those lights on. Y'all keep the kids. and in quality clothes. Thank you guys for that. You guys keep us in materials. But I also want the work to be within institutions, um, museum spaces, university spaces. To me, that is extremely important because those spaces are the spaces that when I'm gone, when my, you know, my kids uh, have kids and kids and kids, you take your children to those spaces and what we see on the wall is what quote marks here, the culture and the society values. If if we are not seen in those spaces and it says something about the value that our society and our culture places on people of color, on, on women, on children, um, when, when all you see 
are this limited range of African-Americans and people of color in the space. Yeah. Did you do any writing for the book? Yes. <laughs> Who leaves themselves out? That would be me. Thank you. That would be me. <laughs> so, yeah, of course, you know, I've got, you know, your standard artist statement, but it's it's the long version of this artist statement because I got the space. I don't have like a character count. Um, it's also got an essay uh, called On Symbolism on reading the work. Mm. And so it talks about the symbolism that I incorporate my glue elements that you'll see frequently within the works. It talks about the symbolic relationship um, that those items have um, for me and um, within history. Yeah. This is fine. It sounds amazing, yo. My labor of love, honey. <laughs> this thing is Oh, Lord, I can't wait. I, I sent it yesterday. Everything is in it that needs to be in it. I've tweaked the, the photographs that came back too dark from the wet print test. I sent it over to the, is the copyright office. I need my copyright number to come back, and then I will send it back to um, the printer. And, yeah, get it printed up. I, I love it, it, Joe. shipped out from New York. <laughs> I love it. it, is, it is, thank it is, you for all those folks who are patiently waiting who have pre-ordered. <laughs> I thank you. I, I hope and pray I have made it worth your patience and time. Yeah. No, I love it. And I love to see people people that I know start to think like this. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's one thing for us to like we've been in shows together all around Atlanta for years. Yeah. Right. And it's but it's one thing to think of like yourself as an Atlanta artist. And then it's another thing to think of yourself in in context of an institution, the way that you're setting yourself up to be like having mm -hmm. a having a, a forward or essay by Wanda Williams in a book about your work is something. <laughs> it is a, it's something extremely special. Yeah. Like that's the stuff that she people. Wrote her. She wrote her. Oh, we all know. We, all, we, like know, how, we know how Wanda give it up. We know how Wanda give it up. Beresford, out. And look, Beresford, the way he even set it up, he said, "Okay, we're gonna do a Zoom interview." Yeah, Beresford, my man. Yo. We sat here and did the Zoom interview. Yeah. He sat and he was like, "Okay, do you have the transcript?" I sent him the transcript. Baby, I said, dang, Beresford, okay, okay, all this, okay. I mean, it's just the the thought that each one of these individuals put into the writing and, and just how thoughtful and deep. You know, you, you can ask folks to do writing for you, and they don't have to invest any time or energy. They could write something very surfacy right. and call it a day, and you're not paying them. It's just like they're giving up their time. And so you have to be grateful regardless. And with with each one of these guys, you know, I, I was like, whatever you write, I will be super happy with. I, I will be blessed for whatever words you put on the paper for me. And they went all in. Paula, all in. Beresford, all in. Wanna, all in. And just, just such engaging writing that... If you're one of those folks who enjoy a good read, particularly about art, this book is definitely for you. Like, no, I no. feel like it, it touches on so many aspects. Like, it's for those folks who, who love a good art read. It's for those folks who really want to have their children see themselves in this empowered, um, beautiful uh, photographs that, you know, artistically rendered, just beautifully done. It's for those folks who want to spark this conversation about family history and heritage and carrying on family memory. It's for those folks who just love a good photography book. And so I really feel like, you know, you say, hey, you're going to do a book. But this thing really is something beyond a single category for me. Yeah. I love that, Joe. And I'm sure in response, they would say that it's much easier to write when the work has quality to it. Yeah. You know, like and like they yeah. you can't sit and, you know, no, no, uh, no slight to the people that that recreate album covers. But if you just recreate an album covers and you want me to write a forward in a book, it's not yeah. much for me to say about it. You know, right. there's not a lot to chew. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but, but so it's a testament to you the work that you put in and the images that you produce that these people are able to 
have the time and want to give the effort to create a context, the proper context for the things that you created over time. Like, yeah. the, you know, the reclamation series is already a beautiful in and of itself. And I think having this kind of literature that goes along with it can only expand it and can only yeah. make it reach more audience can only make it more permanent. And so if you, and that's, that's to me is always the goal. It's a, yeah. a, the type of, of surreal oh, magical um, permanence. Yes, we are in agreement there. So that's wonderful, yo. I love it. I, I <laughs> when you mentioned the book, I was all in on it already. But now I think this is going to be a fantastic thing. Let yo, let's let the let the noise buy a couple copies and give away to the listeners. Say, don't play, Jamal. Yeah. Please get your copies. Oh yeah. Please get your copies. <laughs> for sure, yo. For sure, we gonna have to we gonna have to give away a couple of these things when we come around. Oh, yeah, yo. Yeah, yeah, I got to do it, yo. Got to support the fam, yo. This is amazing, yo. <laughs> <laughs> love it, yo. What, what's what's been some of your favorite images that you've come up with? Oh, you're not catching me there. Now I will say you <laughs> you're not catching me there, but you did bring up one of my favorite ones. With, um, what is precious is protected, and we we. I don't be trying to talk a third person. I just be talking sometimes. So you, I create work, and I love all of them. But sometimes you just looking like, oh, that slap. Yeah. Oh, that, that hit right <laughs> there. Right you know yeah. it. We feel it, yo. And, and you feel it. Yeah. So, and there's two versions of that piece. Um, and one I love, but the second one I love, love. And I looked at it, and it had a different name to it. And I kept looking at it, and it just, what is precious to us, we protect. We, we don't just say we protect it. We actually protect it. And it probably came to me when one of these random news tragedies was going on. Mm. Yeah. It, one of my Instagram posts, I talk about the fact that my whole life is surrounded by children. You know, I, as an adult, I, I've always been a teacher. 20 and going on 24 years, I, I have a house full of children my work that I do as an artist is with children. And so we cannot say something is precious to us and we don't protect it. Mm. It, it doesn't matter what that precious item is. If it's precious, like let a, let a dude have a fancy car. Don't you, they will park on three parking spaces, <laughs> three sideways, upside down, yeah. so that that baby that they find to be yeah. precious does not get a single scratch on it. Meanwhile, my Suburban has scratches on it left and right because to me it's just a vehicle. But what is precious, we will protect. We can't say something is precious to us and we do nothing beyond words to protect it so yeah absolutely yo. absolutely and we talk about one last thing we'll talk about as we wind it down here is yeah. is i i personally have you uh scheduled to commission to do a piece for my daughter for me yeah. and we're gonna yeah. schedule my son like sometime soon but this is a yeah. big part of your practice and what you're doing yeah. these kind of commission system tell us about that part of your practice and just what what it means to you so my my lean-in is of course the artwork but i will take on just one or two commissions at a time because i feel like we all deserve to have this ability to see ourselves um with this heirloom image right because that's what I create, these images that are pushed back into time. And so frequently, back in the day, we did not have the resources. We did not have the opportunity. We did not have the, the, the means within a family to have these images that reflect our past, that reflect our history. Well, fast forward to now. I still feel the need to create that. Um, the work is very much deliberately so a painterly aspect. You think about uh, Renaissance and Dutch painters, these people with so much means and, and funds, they would commission these 
these paintings of their family to document their successes, to document what that family valued. And a part of that documentation, you would find Africans that they had acquired as, as chattel, as, a, as a, a form of status. And they would have them painted into the portrait along with their Venetian glass and their exotic uh, fruits from around the world and their rich fabrics that others just could not afford. So within those photo, excuse me, within those paintings, we were the status symbol. Mm. My goal is to flip that. The Ogden Museum has an exhibition. I don't, I don't know if it's already up or it's going up, where this family had painted um, their children. And there's an, um, a person of African descent, a guy, in the background. And the, the artist, I don't know if he was told to do so or what the scenario was, but they, they painted the person of African descent out of it. And the Ogden um, is now showing that um, revived painting that now has the person of African descent back in, um, into the painting. I think that is such, um, it, it's kind of symbolic of what I'm doing. We, we want to put ourselves back into the timeline of history and not in such a way that we are the subservient that we are the lesser than, that we are those who do not belong. We are not the other. Yeah. I love that, Joe. <laughs> and I, I can't yeah. wait to I can't wait to get one of my daughter and you my son and anybody else oh, that can that can get one. She done picked out some outfits. I know. Oh man, man I loved it. I seen said, the pictures. Get together. <laughs> <laughs> said, hey, yeah, oh. yes, yo, I got it. I got to do it, yo. I got to do it. It's gonna yeah. be it's gonna be fantastic. I look forward to just having it in my house. It's something about the way you presenting these people. Um, you, you spoke a little bit much. about about you know not being other, but centering them in such a way that they are are special. Like beyond special. There is a power. There is a power in that, Jamal. Yeah, it is, and I I love to see it. And it's I don't know something about it. Like you just captured it, and I don't know. It's it it's got to come from somebody with your kind of spirit. When you talk about having patience and being a teacher, like it, I don't know. Some some people have it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it, it's a magical thing once it manifests. So you know, coming to this point in your journey. I I think you were going to get here eventually, like no matter what, but like yeah. being here and seeing you living in this fullness, that it's, it's amazing to see you. Thank you. Thank you, Jamal. Absolutely. So you got a show coming up in right now. We mentioned it before. What remains July 2nd through August 27th at Community yeah. Artist Collective. You got a show at the Fraylin Museum, University yeah. of Virginia coming up. Tell us about that. Yeah, so the exhibition, it's a group exhibition at the Fraley Museum, and they've actually acquired uh, three of my works for their permanent collection. I uh, damn. Is, yeah, I man. damn, girl. Hey, <laughs> hey. And those people will be in the exhibition. Um, the exhibition is going to include uh, Martine, and pardon me if I mispronounce um, anyone's name um, improperly, Martine Gutierrez, Sarah Maple, Wendy Redstar and Cara Romero. All right. They're run from August 27th through December 31st of 2022 in their main gallery space. Yeah. Ah. So that's, that's happening. Um, I've got um, three, three pieces that are going up at the Zuckerman Museum. Um, and the Zuckerman is on the campus of Kennesaw State. Yep, Kennesaw State, yep. Yeah, so that's coming up. Uh, I want to say, look, drop off is mid July. I'll post when the show's actually open. It's man, man, managing everything. And then I'm a part of this wonderful um, uh, fundraiser with Rush Arts. They are doing a portfolio. Uh, it's including some amazing artists, it's including. Um, Limited editions from Fahamu uh, PQ, um, gosh, myself. Uh, it, 
I gotta pull up the names, Jamal. Hold up, let me pull up everybody's name so I, I don't feel like I'm singling somebody out, right? Yeah. And then the worst when you feel like, oh no, I should have <laughs> yeah. My apologies. Oh, okay. Participating artists gonna be Stephen Towns, Latoya Hobbs, uh, Dieter William, Vanessa German, Philandis Thames, R.B. Smith, Alfred Conti, myself, Sydney Carter. Barbara Bullock and of course Dr. Fahamu Piku, uh, Martha Jackson Jarvis, and we're all uh, don donating artwork for their fundraiser, and hopefully it will allow Rush Arts to continue their wonderful mission of providing uh, art access for community, for children, and for rising artists. And so I, I was really proud to be a part of the of the project yeah wow, that's a fantastic list yeah it's gonna be a portfolio um, nah, set. i love it joe i love it nothing but big things in the future for you yo that's what's up tell them <laughs> tell them how they can get in contact with you so on insta it's toki t studio um and that is my artist instagram um, my for the commission work it is toki taylor studio on insta um, Linktree has all of the things as far as if you would like to click the link and get you a pre-order for the book, it's there. Um, if you would love to sign up for my newsletter, the Linktree has a sign up for the newsletter. You can follow along all the things that are going on in my life. It's it's a lot. <laughs> I try to <laughs> I push out a newsletter, but I don't push it out where I'm harassing y'all um facebook i'm just normal on facebook i usually am posting artists art articles and jokes i mean <laughs> it's, it's high, right? there we go yeah that's how you get in contact with me yeah and of course my email you google me my email is gonna come up my phone number is gonna come up yeah so yeah. stand block it's not gonna show if you're a <laughs> telemarketer or somebody trying to buy my house <laughs> <laughs> Don't you hate that, yo? If you buy my house, where <laughs> is my family of seven going to move? Yeah, who said I'm moving? Who you been talking to? Oh. I'm like, yo, what are you talking about? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's what's up, yo. It's Toki Taylor. Make sure you get rid of yo, check out the work, get ready for this book. It's gonna be phenomenal. Thanks for coming on the show, yo. Thanks, Jamal. Thanks for having me and let me run my mouth. Appreciate it. And that's it. Another episode of Studio Noise in the bag. Big shout out to Toki Taylor coming on the podcast, giving up the sauce. Yes, <laughs> it's the noise. Next week on the season finale of the noise, Thomas Detour, Evans, Murals, all that good stuff. And all my artists out there. You don't have to make the Mona Lisa. You don't have to make the John Biggers. You don't have to make... Kahende Wally, you just gotta be yourself. You just gotta make that noise. Yes, that's what I wanna see from you. I hope this inspires you. Keep it up. We'll see y'all next week. It's your boy, Jay Barber. I'm out. Yes. Thank you for listening to the Studio Noise Podcast. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Please take a second to rate us and write a review to make sure everybody knows about the noise. Follow us on Instagram at Studio Noise Podcast.